0: Seem to me that my life ran up too fast, and I had to take it slowly just to make the good ball last. But when you're born to run, it's so good to just slow down. So don't be surprised to see me back in the bright part of town. Welcome back to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Once again, thank you for joining us and what a podcast we have in store for you. Before we get into today's podcast guest, social media. Please be sure to follow the Chris Williams Podcast Hour on social media. You can find us on IG and Twitter at the Chris Will Pod and on Facebook, the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. This podcast is about someone I have great admiration for. In my opinion, he is one of the greatest people I have ever met. Fair but firm, direct, and honest, I could give you countless examples of how he recognizes and respects all people. Quite honestly, if there were more people like him, this world would be a much better place. Today's guest is Brian Flannery. He is my former teammate. He is a high-value, high-character guy. He would humbly describe himself as a husband, a father, a 1988 Notre Dame national champion, former legislator, a councilman, a business owner, and the St. Edward Man of the Year. Also, the author of Educate Ohio. Now, I'm not a guarantee guy. But, I will go on the record to say right now, I guarantee you will love this podcast. And I guarantee you will get a lot out of it. Brian Flannery embodies the spirit of St. Edward High School, of Notre Dame, and what a great human being should be. Now, this podcast is a little longer than my usual hour. And actually, its brevity does not do Brian justice. So I ask you to listen to all of it, however you can, whether it's 15 minutes here, 30 minutes there, a chunk at a time. And if you have kids or family who want to achieve something, you should probably take the time to sit down with them and listen to this podcast. Listening to this podcast gives me chills, but it also reminds me why I got into the podcast game. This is the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. And then
1: Welcome back to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, and today it is with great honor I introduce to you one of the greatest people to come from St. Edward High School in Lakewood, Ohio. And, oh, yeah, by the way, he was a great football player also. Let me introduce to you a former member of the Ohio House of Representatives, a 2006 gubernatorial candidate, an all-Ohio defensive tackle, and a key member of the 1988 Notre Dame Fighting Irish Nationals Championship football team. Please, welcome to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, Brian Flannery. Brian, welcome.
2: Hey, Chris. No, thank you, and and thanks for having me, for sure. I tried to think back of if I ever did a podcast. I was going to say, you're my first, but ironically, I uh, recall I did a podcast, and if you can believe it, it was you know, almost 15 years ago. It was in, when I was running for governor in Ohio, they, uh, some people invited me to join a podcast and that at, at the time was kind of a new thing. So, okay. um but, you know, but since then, you know, this is you, you, your honor, uh, you're officially my second podcast. So it's obviously an honor and, and congratulations to you too. You're, I understand, have a good following so far and you're just starting out. And, uh, I was going to ask you what what are you thinking trying to invite someone like me on your podcast if you want to just you know make the ratings go the other way. So maybe it's No, that, you know.
1: absolutely not. Absolutely not. And yet, like I said this is a great honor for me. And so you know welcome to the podcast hour. Um it's a lot of fun for me and the listeners. So and of course this is all about storytelling. So you know when I think storytelling I do think Brian Flattery. I know you're filled with stories. So And I know uh, you'll share with us as well. So thank you for taking the time to join me.
2: No, happy to do it.
1: So Brian, I I really am excited about having you on here. Um, I wasn't really sure where to start because I have so many great memories of you and your
2: family. So let's start there. (laughs) Now, Chris, before you go on, me and my family, I'll always remember when we, you know, how we had those spaghetti dinners. Uh, you know, and I remember that when you came over to our house, the spaghetti didn't sit well with you, and you got a little sick. So uh, that's a, I was going to say you're going to never never come back to our house ever again.
1: <laughs> that's funny you mentioned that because to this day that's my most embarrassing. And probably my most shameful <laughs> moment in my life. Because your, your family hosted the pregame meal at your house, of course. And right? they had some some spaghetti and other things. And, well, I, oh, I've always had a bad reaction to sauce and tomatoes. Um, you know, oh, I'm man. supposed to eat very little and pile a ton of cheese on top of it to keep me from having a uh, reaction. But I remember fixing a plate. Yeah, I originally got a little, but somebody was like, oh, you got to eat more, you got to eat more, and I was too ashamed to tell them at the time, but I remember the spaghetti being really good, I ate it, I got dizzy, I ended up going into another room in your house, I can't remember if it was your mom and dad, but they were sitting on a chair, and we were on this immaculate carpet, and they were just watching me. And I must have looked bad, and then it just—I just let it go all over the floor, and I felt so ashamed. And you talk about it was the first time I had been to the house. It was the first and last time. And then you know, every time I saw your family, they always handled it with class and talked about it, but I was always so embarrassed to see them. So thanks for bringing that up.
2: Oh, happy to. I know that's like the Flannerys are a big X on your list of things, so it's like no. Uh, jump right into it right
1: yeah, exactly exactly so yeah so Brian so tell us about your wonderful family
2: oh yeah family's uh everything for sure and uh, I come from a large family um there's eight kids in our family and uh my mom and dad had their hands full uh, eight kids uh, born in a matter of 10 years so it's your typical Irish family with the uh, what they call Irish twins, where you know two kids are born right right after the other. Now, for me, um, I was uh, the third youngest, so I was actually surrounded by sisters. So I had two older older brothers. They came first, and three sisters and me. And then I had a sister, younger sister, and then uh, my youngest brother who is uh, doing a good job for St. Ed's as their basketball coach has been doing that for some time. But um, so we have an even, even split. And I know my dad was trying for a a basketball team with five boys, but he ended up with four (laughs) and four. And, um, but uh, the, the family is awesome. So for sure.
1: Okay. All right. Now you are a solid guy. So, what were some of the values that they stressed and that are instilled in you now?
2: Yeah, no, there's a lot there to it. I mean, one, you know, being kind of a middle child, you're often forgotten, right? So um, you have to kind of do things to stand out yourself. But for me, um, you know, I, uh, really uh, my two oldest brothers, they, they actually went through St. Ed's like my father did. And my one brother, Jimmy, was on the basketball team, so I always remember going to watch his games at Ed's, and that's where I met Danny Andrews. He was in grade school, but he would be up at the Ed's games, and we'd go play in the in the uh, old wrestling room gym at halftime a little bit. Um, but I remember when my brother, Jim, had to cover Clark Kellogg, you know, so he came up in the stands oh, wow. and told my dad. and um, I think he held them to, like, 30-some points, so that was a big accomplishment <laughs> or claim the fame for us um but yeah st joe's and the kellogg boys uh unbelievable but i was just a young kid going up through that um my uh my other brother danny he was more on the academic side and he actually was a cheerleader so we make fun and rip on him about that uh, but what he showed me was one you know you apply yourself uh academically for sure and then two you get involved and he was involved and So he did cheerleading. He did do bad. He played basketball as well. And um, what what those two guys um, demonstrated for me was how to be a student. Right, Uh, be involved, participate, be active. Um, And um, uh, that was you know a big lesson for me growing up. I um, my sisters. You know you know how sisters are. They always protect you, but. they um they were ones that surrounded me and they taught me a lot about uh compassion and um you know how to be nice and all of that but growing up it was a war zone right so you're you're um fighting for food fighting for the box of cereal in the morning first one up uh, all of that good stuff uh, that comes with growing up in a large family And then, you know, you always wear the hand-me-downs and and grow up doing that. So I don't think I ever really went and bought something for myself or got something about it. It was always hand-down, maybe, you know, with the exception of shoes or something. Um, But um, so, you know, and the other part of that, too, Chris, is, you know, with my brothers, uh, I always remember, you know, going back, uh, my brother Jimmy, the oldest, he would, um, you know, have us and have me in the backyard. And one of my friends would play with his best friend was Eddie Flanagan. And he would bring his younger brother that was about my age. And he would bring a kid from his neighborhood. And we'd play these uh, tackle football games. And I was probably, you know, maybe first grade or second grade or, you know, whatever. Um, But I, I do remember, you know, that. And then also in our, um, at our home, in our backyard, we had this kind of setup where we shared a driveway, and we had this basketball hoop um, that was almost like uh, uh, not a half court, but it was pretty large. So we would get some pretty uh, vicious games uh, going with the brothers. But, you know, as a kid growing up, you watch your older brothers play, and then you're old enough, and you start playing with them, and, and, and the beat goes on. So a lot of lessons, a lot of stories. Uh, growing up in that environment, um, but uh, certainly um, is invaluable to me um, and then just one thing I remember you know vividly is you know my mom, um, my mother, at one point, and I was still a young snot nosed kid or whatever, and thought I was you know the cat's meow, but I remember she sat me down one time and just sat me down and said, "Listen, you know you." You can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to become. Um, You just got to apply yourself, and, you know, I believe in you. And it was that talk that she had with me that really, you know, got me thinking and saying, you know what, I better listen Um, and um, uh, try to make sure I apply that. And, um, you know, with all the uh, accomplishments that I've had, I would never have done it, Chris, without the help of my family brothers and sisters and my parents and that's something i always lean on so it's great having being from a big family but when i started out you know beginning and you're a middle child you have to do something to stick you know to stick out of the crowd right so
1: right um, right
2: so that has something to do with it for sure
1: okay that's awesome that is awesome it's funny you know probably at the time it didn't seem like you know a lot of words but as you've gone on what your mom told you, you know, that's invaluable and
2: probably seems like the world. Yeah. Oh, no, for sure. And um, I, you know, always get a chance to tell my kids, try to tell them that too. But, you know, it's um, something that if you don't listen uh, or do whatever, you can go in a different direction or make different choices. And um, I, I just go back to that conversation with my mom and she it was just um, you know, pretty serious, straightforward, and and uh, got my attention. So um, you know that, and a bunch of other things I've been through have helped me, at least hopefully, keep on the right path.
1: Okay. Okay. All right.
2: Now, from what you that. now one other thing though too. Go ahead. Yeah, sure, one other sure. thing though too, Chris, is uh, I know you had Bob Lennard on on the phone. Uh, had a podcast with him. But I, I just have to say something on that. So, you know, what Bob didn't mention is everyone wanted to date his sisters. And so for him, nobody would nobody would mess with Bob because they all wanted to get a date with the sisters. But then you have dad, you know, who carry that wrench around and have that look on his face. So, uh, but uh, I have to just say, Bob uh, definitely deserves. Being in the Hall of Fame, it's well deserved, well earned. But yeah. you know his sisters, you got to bring that up next time you talk to him because they were the real reason for all of his success.
1: <laughs> I sure will. Oh, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> I wasn't ready. For that. Oh, but yeah. So, so of course, St. Ed seemed like a no-brainer for you. Now, did other high schools try to persuade you, or you re- heavily recruited coming out of St. James?
2: Yeah, no, and I did, I would like to just, you know, with St. James, and I know you mentioned you brag about your team, I think, at Annunciation, right? Um, yes. And how great they were. And, um, you know, I, I just have to throw out some names to you. So when I was in seventh grade, when you were bragging on your seventh grade team, um, you know, my the kids, some of the kids on my team um, at St. James, you know, Kevin mm-hmm. O'Keefe, first-team All-State offensive, offensive guard, went on to Michigan State. Uh, yes. Chris Mobley, you know, unbelievable running back that led the, the charge, that footsteps that you followed in. We had Bill Benno. We had um, Ed Stoll, who was, uh, I think, a Hall of Famer track superstar at, at Ed's. We had this guy, Chris Petris that went to Ignatius and yes. was a Division One football player and other players, other teammates <clears throat> from that team. And that team was unbelievable in stack. So when you talk about enunciation, I say, well, with that talent, uh, now Mobley, to his credit, is he went out and even recruited some guys like Bill Benno. And we also had a guy named George Heruvis who played for Northwestern, Division One football player. So Mobley was the perfect GM and got all these guys <laughs> together his eighth grade year. Uh, for St. James, and and what the the crazy thing is, knowing that team with all that talent is we didn't even win the West Suburban, um, oh, wow. which was just insane. Yeah, with all that talent, and um, but uh, th- those guys definitely were always a big influence for me, and and you know my friends from from seven, you know from from St. James, um, just some great people like P.J. Flanagan, John Jeffers, Tommy Davern. I, you know, Johnny McGowan, all these guys, and Dan Murphy, I don't remember him, but he had played at Ed's, and, you know, rest in peace for him, and, and Kevin O'Keefe, too, but it's yeah. just, um, some of these, when you think back to those days, um, just, the the friendships you have, and, and the success you had, now, when I was in eighth grade, we went undefeated, um, and I know you guys were unscored on, we had, you know, St. Mark's, you know, got a touchdown on us, but that was it, and, uh, we had a, a good fun team uh, back in the day, but I couldn't believe that seventh grade year as we had all that talent, and uh, we we didn't even win the West Suburban, so that was something else.
1: Yeah. So yeah, you know, there's there's competition everywhere, and you know how that is. You you. Oh yeah. You know you're the, you're the big guy, <laughs> and where you and then you end up going to college, and you hear the stories, and everybody has the exact same story. So it's pretty right. much the same as yeah, when you went, sure. went to St. Ed's. Everybody was good. How are you going to yep. stand out? So
2: <laughs> that's right. perfect. No, that sure. is
1: perfect. But, yeah, so – and I, I like to ask the guys that come here because I get so many people that talk about – talk to me about recruiting and how to get your kid recruited and the parents. So, you know, you're <laughs> a big-time player, so, you know – First of all, let's let's talk about you going to St. Ed's. Uh, Like I said, it seemed like a no-brainer because you had the history.
2: But did other schools try to persuade you to come to their high school? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, um, and then people, what's your secret or whatever, and just tell your listeners that for me um, the secret was my parents held me back for 10 years. So I was actually uh, (laughs) 24 in eighth grade. And some people would argue that or whatever. And What's his birth certificate or whatever? But no, I'm just, in all seriousness, um, we had a um, St. Ignatius obviously was interested um, uh, in St. Ed's. It was really a choice between those two schools for me. And uh, I did go visit St. Ignatius and, you know, like that school, we had a family friend named Joe Rochford who um, was a big Ignatius guy, and I remember him taking me to the Ignatius basketball games and then out for hot dogs and things like that. And it's all all in good fun. But, um, you know, my best friend actually chose Ignatius. Uh, So, um, you know, to one, um, you know, go the other way. But for me, as you mentioned, it's kind of a no-brainer. My dad went to Ed's. My two older brothers went to Ed's. Then um, you got the GM Chris Mobley, who's uh, a freshman at Eds, and some of the guys I grew up with uh, were there, so it was uh, probably an easier decision for me to go to Eds. And um, it was, you know, in terms of recruiting, I don't say I was recruited, but you know, you have the coaches; they go to your games and watch them. And you watch go to your basketball games when you're playing and watch and say hi or talk to you or whatever, and that all goes on. But you know, really the, the The thing of uh, that I you know you see today's day and age of parents being actively involved and what can you do to get you know uh, get noticed or whatever and you know I go back to like my brother Eric and kids um, that are you know looking to become basketball stars and what do I got to do whatever he just says have fun be a kid right? right you can work hard and you can do those things but don't over sweat it I mean. Things will happen, and you'll find your niche uh, for sure. So, um, for me, it was uh, Eds was a no brainer just because of familiarity growing up and going to. I remember going to the state championship when I was must have been in second grade or whatever. That was back in '76 um, when uh, Eds played Mola, you know, and and watching that game. And I just remember being cold at the game, but I I remember it and remember going to it and what an awesome experience that was. Uh, unfortunately, Ed's came up short, but that's something that sticks with you.
1: Yes. Okay. All right. Awesome. So talk about your four years at St. Ed's socially, academically. Of course, we'll get into athletics, but talk about, about <laughs> what you took away socially and academically.
2: Well, it's... Um, you know, socially, academically, I mean, um, I think everything's there for anyone um, that goes to Ed's, and I always tell people this, that if whatever, and I tell my son this, he's a junior there, is that Ed's has all the tools and resources you need to become whatever you want to be, Um, but you have to take advantage of it. You have to step up and and, and take some risks, uh, when, when you're going through that. And I think, uh, for me, um, I, a lot of people knew that I was focused on wanting to go to Notre Dame. Um, that was, um, a, kind of a lifelong dream of mine growing up. My father went to Notre Dame who, and he was a captain of the bowling team for Notre Dame. So, uh, he was not athletic by any means. Um, but um, he went to Notre Dame. He was president of the Notre Dame Alumni Club in Cleveland. He um, would, you know, uh, just always have the Notre Dame game on Saturdays and, and, and w- listening to that on the radio while he's doing work in the yard or watching it on TV. You grow up with that. Um, and then, um, you know, my brother Danny, he went to Notre Dame. So he was more of a student. And, um, you know, and so I saw that and said, wow, you know, I, you know, I can, I can do that too. You know, I can apply myself academically and, um, and, you know, get in that situation. I always remember too, uh, at St. Ed's with, I had, um, uh, my counselor at the beginning, my freshman year was a lady named Mrs. Kelsick. And, you know, I told her, well, I want to go to Notre Dame, you know, and, Here's this little freshman guy telling her that, and she, you know, would tell me about how she was a counselor for the Golics, and and she said, I told, I'll tell you what I told them is you need to focus on your academics. Um, you know, sports is temporary, and you're, you know, really going to be judged on whether you can, you know, how smart you are. So focus. Uh, my suggestion for you, Brian, is to make sure your grades are great and um, you get involved, um, and if football or sports or whatever gets you there, that's great too, but that use, let that be kind of a secondary thing, um, really focus and prioritize academics. And so my approach, at least with Ed's, was to do my best academically, and I wasn't a straight-A student by any anyway, means. I was an honor student, but not straight-A's, and uh, also to get involved because I knew at Notre Dame Um, that they don't look at just grades. Um, They're going to look at, you know, what type of student you are. So, you know, I got involved with as much as I could. I ran for class president at Ed's. I um, did my best to, you know, uh, stay on top of the books. And um, and I participated in football and basketball. So um, Ed's was just uh, a great platform. Uh, for me to be involved and try different things and um, and try to have success and, and be a difference maker.
1: Okay. And, and you did a tremendous job of that, that's for sure. So, you know, you, you talked about going to watch the Molar game uh, when you were younger, and you talk about some of the experiences your brothers had and your father. How was your experience Different or similar to you know what you heard from them, and then you know because you know the hand experience is always a little
2: different from you know what you hear secondhand. But how was yours similar sure. or different? No, for sure, and then definitely different, Chris, as I was the only Blannery at the time to play football. um So, you know, my brothers didn't play in high school. My father didn't. Um, and you no know, no uncles did or anything so that was kind of a big a, a different different avenue of approach and um you know none of my brothers were in class office and that was different and it gets back to you know watching what they did um and you know observing that as a kid growing up and then you know, knowing and having a, a a dream to go to Notre Dame, um, say, okay, these are some people that did it, and I'm just going to try to imitate that and maybe, you know, go beyond that. Um, and when the time comes, maybe I'll go there too. Um, so for me personally, um, Ed's was really, a, again, a great, school to be at because it offered a ton of things to do and if they didn't have things to do you could make it you can go do it you know create it and do it yourself but um, just uh, being there um, and uh, going through that experience uh, really uh, made me help me grow as a person Um, you know they had the mixers and those things that you go to uh, obviously class office Uh, I was class president all four years and um, you know that's a testament to my classmates, at least putting my putting their faith in me uh, to be a leader. And um, I always remember homeroom announcements, and you know being one of the announcers uh, was a cool thing. And you know the teachers, the brothers, uh, um, just unbelievable people. And you know um, I know you've had some some legends like Dan Flaherty and, and Greg Ervis on your show and, and just what the unbelievable people, unbelievable. And, and the lessons they teach as you, as you're growing up, you know, Flaherty, you know, helped us with the recruiting, just because again, I I was the only one that played football in the family. I was really the only one that ever got recruited for college in the family. And he, with all of his experience and the players that he's had prior was um, you know, came over to the house and, And talk to us about that. And then, you know, Greg Irvis. I mean, I remember uh, Chris. You know, and when we were at Ed's, you know, wrestling was the big thing, right? And um, and um, I, I, you know, caught, went, you know, got on that little bandwagon, and actually wrestled in the summer with the wrestling team going into my sophomore year, I think. And um, I'll always remember. It was my first tournament. I didn't know a thing about wrestling, but I was, you know, trying it. And I was wrestling this kid. It was heavyweight. And um, the the, the match went into overtime. And, you know, the wrestlers are all watching me, and they're they're laughing because they're just like, just throw him on the ground or whatever. And it ended (laughs) up the kid beat me in overtime. And then he got up, and he goes, I beat a kid from edge, you know, and he shouted that. And. So I'm walking off and the wrestler, one of the wrestlers went up to the kid and said, that kid's a basketball player. He doesn't even wrestle. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, so, uh, but, you know, back to the whole wrestling thing is, you know, Greg Urbis, um just said, you know, do you really want to do this? Um, you know, and, uh, you know, you And he taught me how to make a decision chart. So he says, you know, here's the pros of wrestling and here's the cons and make a list. And here's the pros of still playing basketball and the cons. And, you know, write those out. And, you know, it gets to helping what you want to do. And for me, it was to go to Notre Dame. So, you know, it ended up making a decision to stick with basketball and not wrestle. Um, But that was uh, attributed primarily, you know, Greg Urbis helped me kind of think through that but it's something that sticks with you forever
1: okay okay that's good that's, that's really good that's a good story all right so we're talking about athletics so we'll just stay there so describe <laughs> your athletic experience at st ed's and what are some of your best memories
2: oh yeah no a lot of a lot of definitely good memories and um you know i i did play um football and basketball, obviously, and I always remember a good memory. You know, my freshman year, I was playing middle linebacker, and I might have had three interceptions in a game against Joes, and and we beat them, um, beat them handily uh, my freshman year. And that was when, you know, we had two teams and Joes had one team. And, um, you know, that uh, was something that stuck out, obviously. I remember, you know, my sophomore year – you know, starting some games uh, as a defensive tackle. Um, and, um, you know, that was something that was um, exciting, you know, to play varsity and to, you know, be in that environment. Just all the people ahead of you that you're, you know that have gone before you or the people that you're playing with. I mean, some of the seniors like Tommy Zulo was a defensive lineman, Tony Lowe. I mean, these guys were unbelievable. And so, like, some of the offensive linemen, like Blake Geddes, Matt Fairfield, um, you know, Mark Earhart. I mean, Mark Earhart was a beast. He went to Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, those type of play- people that um, really I was following them and their lead. Uh, but my sophomore year, it would really stuck out, Chris was and and i don't know if you remember this or not but it was uh just a um a time it was the end of the sophomore year and um probably i had just started um again i think we were playing gateway pa or something like that team like that and um i i had a great game i you know maybe made a sack made a big play this or that on the varsity and um after that game um, I was home, my one sister said, hey, you know, can you go run up to the store and get me something or whatever, and I, you know, so I jumped on my bicycle and was riding up to go to the the, the store, and then I had a terrible accident, um, and I don't know if you remember that, but I was, um, and I know you were a year behind, but uh, I probably could have been easily killed, um, I was knocked out, and it's just, you know, imagine you just doing whatever you're doing in life, and And then you wake up being wheeled into a hospital. And um, I will never forget the, you know, they're saying, you know, I woke up and I'm just like, what's going on? And, and like the late, the nurses is like, do do, do you know, um, do you know who you are? And I'd be like, well, yeah, yeah. And then they're like, you know what day it is? And I'm like, no, I I don't know what's going on. And then what they had to do was, um, my face was just wrecked up bad, and um I think what happened with you know I had that accident and was face first on the pavement and um they had to keep me awake through that surgery and just put stitches in my face and they didn't want me to go to sleep because they feel like you know going to a coma or something and uh just remember the the painful that was and the, and that whole experience but um but you know that being an experience, what was even kind of more, I guess, um, transitional for me was around that time. I, you know, went through that, and I'm, you know, going through recovery. Not, and I didn't go back to school, so I was at home recovering. But um, a short time after that accident happened, there was a classmate of ours. Uh, his name was Tommy Pelsisco, and Tommy yeah. Pelsisco was got hit by a train and killed and uh, I you know got news that a classmate died and I was like well who is it Tommy Pelsi. I was like who's Tommy Pelsi?" so I didn't even know the kid I didn't know him well and um, I'll always remember Tom Jenkins was our class moderator at the time and you know I had to go to the wake and so I'm going to the wake and I have all these bandages on my face and you know, people are looking at me at the wake, like, you know, did did you get hit by a train too? You know, like, wow, what what's going on with that kid? And I remember going up and seeing Tommy in the in the casket and and um, paying respects, and you know, um, and I'm looking in there and I'm looking at, it and I said that that could be me. Could I could be easily be, sit, you know, in this casket. And you know, that whole experience, Chris, that kind of gave me a perspective of. You know, don't take things for granted. Number one, everything can change in an instant. And then also is just be good to people. You know, and if you don't know someone, reach out, say hi. You know, be be friendly, be their friend, because you don't know what's going on and you don't know what's going to happen. And that that whole experience, you know, is terrible for me to kind of go through that accident. But then what immediately happened after just put everything in perspective. And just said, wow, you know, um, you know, and what was even worse than all of that was then report cards came out and Tom Jenkins ended up saying, hey, can you come drive with me? And I'm like, well, sure. Where are we going? It's like we have to deliver the report card to mom. Mrs. is Cisco,
1: oh, And I
2: just remember knocking on the door and this Cisco answers and we're like, this is your son. You know, we're very sorry. We just wanted to personally deliver this and that. And we gave her a hug. And it was just like, Wow. You know, it's just like that's just it's just it's just it's just terrible. Um, but uh, you know, when you talk about lessons and, and things you learn, is that you know things aren't always as bad as they you think they are because um, they can always be worse. Could be and worse. And that you really yeah. need to, really need to pay attention to uh, people around you for sure.
1: Okay. All right. So that, obviously that helps you build a lot of the character that you have um and and you know the fact that you you got to see st ed's probably at its best because it rallied behind you know a tragedy
2: yeah yeah no and they rallied behind me too i remember i still have letters from my classmates when i was you know um (laughs) missing school and and out of it and kids send you cards and notes and all of that and just uh, one, a great example of, um, you know, one, how to be a friend and support. And um, just with that whole experience, you know, with that is, you know, here you are, you're a sophomore, you're playing varsity, you get this bad accident, but then something even more tragic happens, and it just puts things in the right perspective. And, um, you know, I I actually, when I was a senior um, at the – the senior, um, we had this you know the senior mass when you graduate is you give a speech as class president and I, you know, I brought up Tommy Pelsisco in part of that speech and just somebody you always you always always want to remember um, and never never let anything be go by for granted for sure. That's good. Oh man. All
1: right. So. I'm gonna to try to lighten it up just a little bit, but you
2: know,
1: <laughs> what what I remember about you, well, what I you you're you seem like a really low key guy, real modest. But I just remember seeing you on game day because you were always one of the people that I would look at, look in your eyes because I could say, okay, this is gonna be a good night. But you know, you took that low key, you know, attitude and and. Uh, the way you carried yourself, and you had this energy on game day where you were just as amped as anyone else. So <laughs> I, I need you to channel that right now, and I need you to brag about yourself. So a lot of my listeners <laughs> might not have seen you play and didn't catch you on the real to real. So how would you describe your playing style? And and seriously, brag about yourself. You know uh, your
2: accomplishments at St. Ed's. <laughs> yeah no um, what really drove me obviously were my teammates and um, you're in the weight room working out doing that with them um, and um, you know you, you you watch how others respond react and you know how should you act and a lot of it has to do with turning that switch on you know turn it on turn it off um, and I think it goes back to my mom's conversation is hey you know when you're in school be a student you know, when you're on the field you can be a football player or whatever. Uh but being having the ability to, you know, turn it on and off when you can, but you know, when it comes game time you definitely have to be ready. And I have to say, you know, like um and I don't know if you remember this, when we when we my senior year we introduced um uh kind of this reaction drill. So you'd stretch or whatever and then we'd have this reaction deer where the, where the captains are up front and would, you know, raise a hand to the head or hit, touch the knee or whatever, and everyone else would, would I- imitate that. And um, we we got that from Moeller because Moeller used to do that, and we used to make, when I was in grade school, we would we would mimic that. We would do the reaction drill in grade school. I'm like, you know, let's bring that back. Let's... Let's let's uh, do that and have fun with it. And uh, okay. you know, when it comes when it comes to playing, um, comes to playing ball, you have to be a beast. And and I guess my style was you you have to work hard and prepare. So a lot of it was the preparation, but when it's game time, you just have to have that attitude, the attitude of no one stopping me. And good luck if you try. You'll need you know ten people to block me. Um, if, if you want to try to stop me, um, but it's uh, it's that whole mindset, and uh, obviously having experience from playing varsity for let's say three years, um, two years coming in, um, you know. Again, Chris, when we were going there, I mean, we had all that talent. My sophomore year, we had must have had uh, over ten guys get Division one scholarships from that team but we were a 500-ball club, and there was just no respect. Um, and so the next year, of course, the great Al O'Neill comes in um, and switches the style to a pound-and-ground game. Um, and, um, you know, the defense had to be, um, you know, make sure the other team doesn't outscore you or whatever. And one of the most proud things I have is our defense um, and when you think of it, our defense was really a no name defense. I was the only returning starter on that team when my senior year, and um, no. everyone else was there in their you know, for starting their first year and, and i 'm sure we weren't ranked anywhere um, in the area um, and there was always there was uh, an article going into my senior year that was in uh, one of the papers locally that said the you know the Eagles landed. And it was really a story, and it had actually my picture was in that paper where I was on the ground, and this is when Mayfield beat us in the playoffs, and they were basically writing Santa's off, saying the Santa's is just they're they're done. Um, and I used that as a, as a kind of motivating influenced, driving force, and what what I you know um, wanted to do was get all my teammates together, and this was where all the seniors that were going to be seniors and, you know, great players like Danny Andrews. Uh, but there were a lot of other great leaders of seniors that we at the house and we said, well, let's decide, write down what we want to do this season.
0: You know, well, we want to
2: beat Ignatius, right? We want to have a winning season, right? We want to do this. We want to do that. And we wrote wrote down these goals as seniors that this is what we want. We want to continue the legacy and not, you know, be, you know, regarded as, um, you know eagles landed forget that noise so we um, really made a conscious effort and we would you know on Sundays we'd um, run at Stinchcomb Hill um, in, in Cleveland the big huge hill that we would you know do running we'd you know working out and all that stuff together and it really set the course for that season and you know, uh, that team, that defense uh, still holds the record for the fewest points allowed in an entire season. It was, I think, 39 points. And that's my most proud accomplishment of of that and my teammates. But, you know, you have to have, uh, obviously, a desire and you have to put that work in because it doesn't just happen overnight. And I think, um, you know, it's a testament to my teammates. And and uh, us deciding that this isn't going to end and wanted to set the stage. So we did make the playoffs went into the second round. And I always look back, Chris, but one of the things we we didn't write down was to beat St. Joe's. And I think, you know, we might have taken them for granted, um, you know, before the season. Um, You know, it was because my freshman year, I mean, we crushed them. And, And then my senior year, that was the team that knocked us out. Uh, And they were the only team that they beat us in the regular season in a mud bowl, six, nothing. And, um, and we got them in the playoffs and then, then they, they, they knocked us out. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's um, just some recollection. No, it it definitely does. It it, it
1: definitely answers that question. And, you know, from the, uh, I always tell people, I, I learned the most, I got a lot from Mobley. I learned from Farmer, even though he was there before me, but, Moment. Yeah, Calvin, Danny. Yeah. Danny Andrews used to be like a wealth of knowledge, and I could I just watched his work ethic and his dedication, yep. and and I you know I tried to channel that. I I couldn't be Danny Andrews, but I, I tried to, <laughs> the best to learn from him because you know in your class, your entire class yeah. was like that. I I look back on your senior year, and think how much better it it should have been because that was a talented group of kids. It, it, and mm-hmm. not only talented, but everybody worked hard. And we should have beaten St. Joe's. I know we, we lost to them the first game at St. Joe's. And, you know, yep. there were mistakes made. I dropped a pass. I was wide open. They put me in a fullback for <laughs> the first time and just told me to run this pattern. And next time, I know the ball's coming at me. And I I remember that. It was a wet night, but no excuses. Yep. We should have won that. And I remember going into that playoff game and how felt I? How good I felt because I thought we could beat them, but they just that yeah. that night they just made more plays, and uh, you yeah, know, that's they, just...
2: they made some big plays at Dalton Wallace. Yeah. yeah, and some yeah, of those guys. But... I mean, Danny Andrews, um, he was kind of my nemesis growing up. Uh, not my nemesis, but we would. He went to St. Luke's, and we were at St. James, mm-hmm. and we actually. For football, they would practice. They were in the CYO, and we were in the West Suburban. We would both practice at Lakewood Park, but we'd never scrimmage, and we would you'd have that back and forth. But then in basketball, you kind of have that give and take of, "Wait, hey, we would beat you guys." No, we would beat you, and and that going back and <laughs> forth. But you know, when you talk about work ethic, I mean, for sure, I mean, no nobody outworked him, and and that's kind of was the tone of that of, our, of my of the class that I was part of. Um, you know, guys like Danny Gardner, Larry McManaman, Mike Novak, uh, you know, uh, Lee Lucas, uh, Jeff Bell, yes. um, Danny Francis, Greg Wurst, Tony Saul. These are all people that you say, well, well who are these guys? But um, they made it. We made a great team and a lot of great kids. Um, that really um we got together and said, you know, they're they're kinda counting saying Ed's out. Um they you know, they have this story and this Ed's all the graduated everyone, they only have that Flannery and Andrews back. Um and and they're not gonna do anything. And that's kind of been the mode of operation or Ed's ever since, is they would always reload. You know, so you have guys that have been really good players and maybe growing up, but they have to wait till their chance until their senior year to really shine. Right. Yes, yes. And I
1: know you guys set the course
2: for us, my my
1: senior year, because um, we, we tried to carry on that tradition of working hard and, you know, accomplishing goals, but you guys were one of the main reasons we were
2: able to even get to the state championship because you guys... Well, yeah, you guys took it up another notch, for sure. You guys took it all the way to the state title game, which uh, and and so you definitely applied it, and and I'm sure you can attest to some of the great teammates you had, but it was a lot of then juniors stepping up for the first time as seniors, right? Uh, There's a big chunk of that. Yes. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. All right. So you have a great career at St. Ed's and eventually go on to Notre Dame. So talk about recruiting your senior year. Who was recruiting you? What was it like? you have any good stories about coaches showing up or, you know, calling you or talking to your family?
2: <laughs> oh, there too many stories. And I know we don't have enough time, Chris, but, um, you know, for for me, I you know I, I mentioned earlier is uh, my dream was to go to Notre Dame, um, and um, so that was whole, a whole story in itself. But I, you know, Jerry Faust was the coach at Notre Dame. They came from Moeller, and I remember my freshman year at Eds is um, Eds played Moeller, and um, I was in the stands as a freshman. Watching the game, and I heard Jerry Faust was in the press box from Notre Dame. I was like, oh my gosh. And, you know, Moeller had that team with the the Francisco brothers and some of their other studs. And uh, I remember I just went up to the press box and I said, can I say hi to Coach Faust? And they're like, hurry up, kid. And I said, Coach Faust, I said, I, I just want to know that I, you know, I love Notre Dame and I can I have your autograph? and he signed a hot dog wrapper for me and gave me his autograph. And oh, wow. um, the darndest thing is, um, you know, now it's, what, 30 years later, and Coach Faust lives out by where I live now, and he's in the same parish that I belong to. And I um, wow. saw him and was tickled to death, and I, I, I tell him about that hot dog wrapper that I still have it, and he laughs. Um, and, um, but when he was um, coaching at Notre Dame, um, they, I went to their football camp going into my senior year, and he brought me into his office and said, "Hey, Brian, you know we're going to be watching you this year. Have a good year. Um, work on your quickness and your foot speed and all of that." And um, and 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 that was it. And that and uh, you know had a good camp. Me, I remember me and this guy Larry Waukee, who was a quarterback from Benedictins, was at the camp, and um, and that was a neat thing. And but. In terms of recruiting, I was getting letters from a lot of the the Big Ten schools, so um, pretty much all of them, um, Miami, Florida, at the time, UCLA, um, and schools from the SEC. So, you know, with recruiting, um, and it, you probably had the same ex- similar experience, but you kind of get some of the smaller your junior year, and send you letters and, and that type of stuff, and uh, the military academies and all of that, and um, just a ton of stories from the whole experience. And that was where Coach Flaherty was invaluable because my parents never went through it. I obviously never went through it, and um, you know he he knew that, and he knew some he knew the kind of what the thing was. So he kind of sat down with us. As a fan, as my family and my parents, and kind of said, this is what to expect, and um, and and he was uh, right on with all of that. And then, in terms of kind of, um, for me, um, and, and and that whole thing too is Chris is like I remember my senior year, and I did something to my ankle or whatever, and I went. My mom took me to the family doctor, and I remember the family doctor they took X rays. And this was before our, our, our game, our opening game, um, oh, wow. and they said, you know, Brian, you, your football season's done. Your ankle's broke. You broke. You have a hairline fracture, and you're not going to be able to play football. And I'm like, screw that! I'm playing. I don't care what you tell me. I always <laughs> remember going in and, and telling Al wow. O'Neil and Coach O'Neill He's just kind of like, you know, he's his typical self, but he's kind of like, well okay we'll tape it up or see what you can and I'm like I, I want to play coach I don't care what the doctor says he says well, well put your put your equipment on and bring the team out for practice and I was like what the hell I'm like put my equipment on I, I, I have a broken ankle but I remember suiting up and when I maybe sat out drills or whatever but I always remember going in that opening game and I you know had my ankle taped up good and all of that and ended up you know getting through it um and then, you know, with a with a hairline fracture you kinda just grin and bear it as you're going on. And that's what I did throughout the season. But it was like one of those things that you all know, Neil didn't care. He's just like, Well, if you can play, play, great, you know and just get the team out here and let's do it. Um and um so that that was, uh, you know, uh, kind of an example of uh, Coach O'Neill and his philosophy is you guys got to beat the yes. heck out of each other so when the games come, it'll be a brief.
1: Okay, nice, nice.
2: But, yeah, okay. back to that recruiting and stuff. So I, um, as, as you know, and you've been through it yourself, but uh, had to narrow down your choices. And then so that year was kind of, Faust uh, announced he was resigning. he was stepping down as a coach in Notre Dame. I remember watching it on TV. It was the last game and this was when Miami hurricanes just beat the snot out of Notre Dame and it was embarrassing. Um and then Holtz after right after that game said, I, I'm stepping down as the coach and I was like, Oh my gosh and um and then they introduced this guy named Lou Holtz I had no idea who it was, except that they were recruiting me from Minnesota. So I was getting letters and information from from Minnesota, and um, they then announced that Holtz is going to be the new coach um, to to replace Jerry Faust. So when that happened, Chris, you know, um, I took it upon myself and I um, wrote Holtz a letter. And I still have the letter today, but he um basically said, you know, uh, little, "You know, Coach Holtz, you know, congratulations on being named the coach. Um, I you, know, just want you to know I love Notre Dame and um, would love an opportunity to play there. and um, you know, I, I, um, you know, basically that was the theme of the letter, and I sent it to him, and never heard anything, but then, when I went on a visit, they invited me to come visit. I went on my visit with my dad and my mom parents and the kids, so it's just uh a lot of interesting stories from that. But I remember when we got to go in to see Coach Holtz, um, he brought up the letter. He said, Brian, you know, um you're you know, a great player, all that and we'd like to offer you a, a scholarship here and, and I have the letter you sent me. Um and so when he was saying that, I know my dad, I look over, my dad's ready to say, well, tell him yes. Tell him what are you. You know, I didn't say <laughs> yes or anything, but I just said, well, thank you. We'll think about it, right? And, um, you know, but, you know, Michigan uh, was on top of my list, Ohio State. Um, and then, you know, going in to meet Bo, Coach Bo Schembechler. Um, I always remember going into his office, and um, he um, – Basically said, you know Brian, you know we um, we think you're a great high school player, and we think you'd play and start as a sophomore at Michigan, but you'll be an offensive guard. We'll make you an offensive guard, and um, oh, wow. which I never played offensive guard. But um, mm-hmm. and he said, I understand you want to go to law school, and at the time I was like, yeah, I'd like to go to law school. And he said, oh well, I just want to tell you. If you come to the University of Michigan and you stay and you graduate that all you'll need is a letter of recommendation from me to get into law school and I'll give it to you. And I was like, Wow, that's pretty that's pretty impressive. Uh, yeah. and Michigan was obviously a great school. Um, a funny story, um, we have a shared driveway at our house and our neighbors Ohio State guy, uh, Joe Ward, and um we it was one winter night and um, uh, this uh, Ohio State was over my house and it was Earl Coach Earl Bruce uh, was the coach and uh, so he was in our our living room which you were in and just kind of going through saying hi and you know we we really like you to come for a visit to Ohio State and it was a real snowy night and my neighbor comes over and the knocking on the door and saying who the hells parked in our driveway and <laughs> tell him to move the car right so he said, Coach Bruce, can you go over and tell the, our neighbors that it's your car and can you move it? And so he, he went along and went over, and our neighbor just had, about had a heart attack that, you know, Earl Bruce was knocking on his door, and it was his car. Uh, but, no, no, uh, you know, you know Nick, Saban, Nick Saban. He was in Michigan State at the time, and he was mm-hmm. recruiting me. And, um, you know, what a great career he's had. But he was in our house, you know, doing his recruiting thing, and, and all of that, so just a lot, a lot of great stories, as I'm sure you have.
1: Yes, that's good, that's good. I know you used to ride me about going to Notre Dame, and I just <laughs> look at you like, like you're crazy, but, you know, I was a USC fan growing up, so I wanted no parts of Notre Dame. And My mom made me go to a, <laughs> a Notre Dame football camp, and I will never forget, so I, you know, I ended up having a really good camp, and uh, Coach Stock, Took me in to meet. Um, yeah, Mike Stock, Coach Faust Yeah, Coach Faust You know, I met them and we talked about scholarships and all that and blah blah blah. But I remember uh, Bishop Harris. Do you remember Coach Bishop Harris?
2: Yep, absolutely. Yep, yep. So
1: he, well, first of all, he the the entire camp. The only thing he talked about was was you. He talked about what a great player. He's like, how are you going to you know come to Notre Dame and. And, you know, following this guy's footsteps. This is a great, Brian Slater is a great player, you know. But, and it, and it was funny just to hear that. But the other thing was, he found out I was a USC fan. And oh, we my were on God. The practice. Oh, it was, he rode me the entire time. But then he got, somehow he was able to get this little thing that played the USC fight song. And we were stretching, and just there. And he comes up to me, and he starts playing the song, and I'm just like, what is that noise? And he's like, hey, Williams, you know what that is? And I'm like, no. He goes, that's the UFC fight song. He goes, you know where I play it from? And he literally starts tugging on his crotch on his shorts. He goes, "You know what that is?" I was like, "No," he goes, "That's where everything USC should be." He's like, "I got a penal implant," and I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> so, but it's funny you said it. He ended up going to Minnesota, and they were, of course, they were yep. recruiting me, and uh, I, I made my. They, that was the only one they let my entire family go, so we went on a visit oh, there. But we get off the plane, and guess who greets us at the airport? And guess what he has? Coach Harris. <laughs> Coach Harris. <laughs> and, of course, the first thing <laughs> he starts playing was that. I was like, oh, <laughs> my gosh. But he was, he was something else. He was
2: oh, yeah, he was great. And he had his, his son, Chick, played at Notre Dame, too. So he was a couple yeah. years ahead of me, and he was he was a character, too. Just like it did. So that's good stuff. That's good stuff.
1: Yeah. So, But I know I know you used to rag me. And then even to the point where you're like, yeah, after you won your national championship, you're like, yeah, you would have been a part of this. And I'm like, geez, thanks, Brian. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's right, Chris. Hey, you know, I can only do so much. But, yeah, yeah we certainly could have used you. In fact, I know you – Weren't you ahead of Rocket Ishmael on the leader chart during the course of the year on kickoff returns or something? No. So sure. he
1: was he was he was one and I was two and we the, ah, we went back and forth the whole year. So yep. So now I have a problem because that's like my last claim to fame in the ACC. I won the right. uh, kick return title that year. And then now, uh-huh. with you guys coming in, does that mean I lose it because Rocket ended up leaving the nation? And I've been, you know, a little salty about it. I'll,
2: I'll, I'll write a letter for you, Chris. <laughs> I'll, I'll back you. I got you back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. that's classic. That's classic. But, but back to you. So you were a member of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. What is that like? I mean, you, you probably have stories for days, but – what an honor, what is that like? What does that feel you know to be a member? yeah a, you know lifetime
2: what is that yeah, no, it's um something that you know if you can just you know Irish Catholic kid um, grew up listening to Notre Dame on the radio. his father went to Notre Dame was a bowler, um so that was his claim to fame. I bowl right and to to you know for me um just unbelievable experience that whole, the whole thing. And, and again, just a lot of things to list for sure. But, um, for me, it's just sharing it with, with my friends and family. Um, cause you know, they're, they're, they're the ones responsible for a lot of the, my, you know, the work I did and helping me become the person I am. Um, and one of the biggest kicks I got was, you know, my dad was being honored by the Notre Dame club. And this is after I graduated from Notre Dame and, um, he was, you know, going through the family and introducing everyone. He's like, everyone, obviously, you know, Brian, he was on the national championship team and he kind of said that was like a slice of heaven for me. And that just remarks is, um, you know, accurately States, you know, kind of my view of it is just to to accomplish a, a dream you've had forever Um, and to be a part of that. And then remember, Chris, at that time, when I was going to Notre Dame, Notre Dame wasn't doing too well. Um, They had some losing seasons. My freshman year, we were five and six. Uh, That was Holtz's first year. And, um, you know, a lot of people were counting the Irish out for sure. And to come back within a couple years and to to win the national championship um, and obviously be a part of that is just unbelievable um and just so many memories i mean um i know my sophomore year um there was a guy uh, Terry Forbes who recruited me from Notre Dame uh, and he used to coach at McKinley and um from years past and um i remember him coming up to me my sophomore year and this this was the year when Timmy Brown won the Heisman um, and we were 8 and 1 and we were number four in the country. And um, I remember Forbes just tapping me on the shoulder um, at training table where we're eating, and uh, he just and I said, "Yes, Coach. You know, what can I do for you?" Whatever he said, I just wanted to tap you and just say, "Hey, you know, how does it feel?" I'm like, "Well, what? You know, well, you know, you're a sophomore. You're starting on a team that's number four in the country." And um, you got to feel pretty good about that. And I think like the week before, I was like defensive player of the game. So I had maybe 13 tackles, is whatever. And, um, and I said, oh, yeah, that is pretty cool or whatever, and just went back to eat. But um, that's just something that he took time out to say hi and, and bring that up because mm-hmm. I, I remember, you know, for me getting recruited um, and then choosing to go to Notre Dame is people would be like, well, okay, and I'm sure you might have heard some of this, too, is you're going to go to that big Division One school, but good, good luck. You're never going to play, right? Right. And, yeah. um, you know, so it's like, okay, um, that could happen, right? Because I remember going in as a freshman, And we had a a camp before the season started, before um, even the team came in. It was just a freshman camp. These are all the players coming in. So just the freshmen were the first week. And I come in, and there's these guys. They're huge. They're, you know, they're benching for something. They're, you know, just big, muscular, whatever. And I was like, damn, what in the hell did I just get into, right? And you're, (laughs) you're doing your thing. And. And then the, the week after, then then all the upperclassmen come, and, and it's just like yeah, guys like Wally Klein. Wally Klein was six nine, three hundred thirty pounds. He was a defensive tackle, and uh, Robert Banks. Robert Banks was six foot six, two sixty. You know, and and I'm looking at these guys. And These were guys I was watching on TV, you know, a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. Um, and I'm like going, and they got their beards and mustaches, <laughs> and you're just like, what what the heck? Um, it's pretty intimidating. Um, but then, you know, you go back to that St. Ed's work ethic of just working hard, put your nose down, be humble, you know, and just let it, let it, you know, let it fly. And, um, I was able to, um, you know, get through, you know, go through that, but, um, but then flourish. Uh, and, um, you know, I was undersized. I wasn't, um, as big as these guys and, um, but I, I outworked them, and my old philosophy was, uh, you know, don't, you know, I'll smash your face, uh, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes, and don't, you know, um, and, and don't test me. I'll, I'll, i uh, showed them. Um, but it was an awesome experience, and just some of the people you meet and the experiences you have. I mean, um, you know, you go back to St. Ed's, even Chris, and you always remember in the weight room. They used to have all those quotes from the book *The Edge*, right? Yes. Um, where you just see all these great sayings and things of how to get the edge. And um, and then when Holtz was announced as the coach at Notre Dame, I he had a quote I looked at. It was in the weight room, and it was from Holtz. Uh, and his quote was, "Don't tell me how rocky the sea is. Just bring the damn ship in." And um,
1: <laughs> you're right.
2: You know, and that's that's kind of what his philosophy, but you learn so much from him and what he taught and then all your teammates. I mean, just to be around some of those players and be a part of it. Um, You know, Rocket Ishmael, we mentioned, Timmy Brown, Tony Rice, you know, Chris Zorich, guys that go on and play in the NFL, but it was just Ricky Waters, just a great experience To be with those people and to be the best, best in the country. Uh, There's nothing like it, and um, and we almost did it twice. Chris, we we were undefeated my junior year and my senior year. We were number one the entire season until we lost to Miami the last game of the regular season. But we finished. uh, We beat Colorado in the Orange Bowl. And we finished twelve and one, so we were number one in the country my junior year, and we finished number two in the country uh, my senior year. And I don't know that Notre Dame has ever been as successful as that since I've left, which is tough to see. Uh, maybe with their change into the ACC, maybe maybe you know this season it, it'll uh, it'll turn it <laughs> around a little bit. But, uh,
1: yeah there's a possibility, a strong possibility that it happens. But Clemson <laughs> looks really good right now, and unfortunately, yes, that, they do. that blue and white team from uh, UNC—they—they're mm-hmm. they're actually looking back <laughs> as well. Yeah, it's damn yes, they are. They're playing well. Yeah. yeah. So it, it'll be interesting. I'm—I'm I'm actually happy, and you know, with the COVID, what's happening with that. Hopefully, yep. they'll make it through the season, and everyone is still healthy. So we'll see what happens. So. I know. I know we're a little we're running over a little bit, and so we're we're on your time. But two more things I want to ask you about as far as football. Uh, so, sure. What you remember uh, about the 1988 team winning the national championship? The pressure, the preparation, the accomplishment, and then also the Catholic versus convicts. In your own word, how would you describe the build up to that game and and what you remember about that?
2: wow yeah that's um that's some uh, a lot of memories flashback when you bring those things up but um just the the whole national championship um going through that season we were ranked maybe 17th at the beginning of the year um so no one really had us pegged to do that and um you know, going through that season, that, that national, you know, started off in Michigan, Michigan was ranked way ahead of us, and we ended up beating them under the lights. Um, and, um, you know, just, um, that helped set the tone for the season. Um, you know, we, we go through that season and that big game obviously was the Catholics versus the convicts and, you know, a little, um, you know, People might not remember, but first of all, the whole buildup was nuts just because, if you remember, they embarrassed us when Holtz was his last game. That was happening in my sophomore year. We went down there to Miami, and they embarrassed us again. So that was the year before. Mm -hmm. And then going into this, they were number one. They were the team to beat. And the hype just raising that, you know, we were undefeated, they were undefeated. Um, then that T-shirt came out. That's a whole story in and of itself. But um, that was kind of there was a, a quiet buzz going around the campus about that T-shirt the week of. And um, then when they brought it out on national TV and talked about it, that kind of set the tone. But you know, in that game, um, before the game, we have you know the tunnel where the teams, both teams, run out. At the time, they don't do that anymore, but. Um, we would, um, during our warmups, um, the last phase of our warmups is we line up back at the end zone and we do a a simulated, we do a punt and they punt it. And then we all get rush into the tunnel. Well, when we were all lined up like that, Miami comes running through and breaking through our line and, um, we didn't like that. Um, so there in the tunnel, they're looking back at us. We're kind of going and approaching them. And there was a standoff, and there's pictures of it, I'm sure, all over in the media or whatever. But I was in the front row. Um, just, you know, there's guys jawing back and forth, and and that's when the fight started. And I was right there throwing <laughs> some punches, getting hit, doing all that fun stuff when it happened. I was I was front and center. So that. Uh, nice. You know, and, and I said, you know, definitely the shirts were accurate. There were a lot of convicts from Miami that, that <laughs> in that tunnel putting that fight. But that game, um, you know, was, it was actually the best game I've ever played in and a part of. And um, it was just a back-and-forth game um, with some, you know, turnovers and big plays um, and, you know, uh, I remember I was in one uh, during the game, and we picked it off and took it back uh, for a touchdown. I'm running in, you know, to celebrate or whatever, and a fan comes running out of the fans because the fans are right there on the field, Right. and um, it, they knocked my contact out, you know, poked me in the eye or whatever And while well, we're all celebrating, Jeez. so I had to go and, you know, get a new contact, but... Um, that game was, was a great game and a great finish. Um, and, uh, obviously, as you know, there's stories written about that game. Um, but we came victorious. And then from there, it was kind of, you know, Katie closed the Katie barn, closed the barn door or whatever, because we were, um, you know, on a mission to finish the job. Um, and, you know, we went through that season and, um, you know, he, and this was not an easy schedule. So, we end up, and you'll remember this because you're a USC fan. But we were undefeated, and we're playing a team called USC that was undefeated. And I was starting at nose guard for that game. And that game, we ended up um, we ended up selling sending our top receiver and our top running back home um, because they missed the team meeting. And so the little story behind that was before we were heading out to USC, we had a team meeting, and when we're in the locker room, you know, getting ready before the team meeting to, to get up and, you know, pack our stuff up in that on the, on the chalkboard they had when the team meeting was. It said four, 4 o'clock. And then, you know, a few minutes later, someone crosses it out, and it says 4.30. And then it crosses out again, and it's back to Forkland. So that was all going on. So there was a bunch of us, maybe thirty guys, walking down the hallway to the team meeting. And we walk in the room, and Holtz is up there. And there's some. There's not all these. There's not a lot of guys in the meeting, but there's maybe you know half the room filled with with half the team. The other half comes walking in, and Holtz just lost it. And he just said, "If you if." This has got to stop. I don't care what the excuse is. If anyone's late again, you're done or whatever. Now, uh, so we go on. <laughs> we go on the flight to, the, to Southern Cal to California, and we right when we arrive, we get to go to your rooms, drop off your you know your stuff, and then come for a team team meal. So we we do that. We we land. We get on a bus to the hotel. We do that and go. We we're going to the, the team dinner, and everyone makes sure, damn, we're going to be there on time. Well, who doesn't show up for the team meal? Ricky Waters or Tony Brooks? So Holtz is just beside himself, and so he he calls a team meeting, and Ricky and Tony are there uh, finally for the team meeting. And um, he's just basically, Holtz just ripped into us again and said, I told you guys this, and you know, you guys decide what you're going to do. And then I remember Frank Stan stood up, said, "Let's send them home." You know. And then you know, everyone's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And so, and so then in that game, Chris, we were we were uh, USC was favored to win. And you t- you oh, wow. tap tap on that we're sending our top running back, our top receiver. They're not even dressed for the game, and that set the stage for just an unbelievable, unbelievable atmosphere. Um, playing in their stadium. And I'll always remember, um, and and you may remember this, is Tony Rice um, took an option down the sidelines and and ran to to open up the scoring. So he scored a touchdown on an option to to kind of break things open. It might have been the first thing. It was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, that play, of him running down the sidelines. And we're all high-fiving and, you know, great job, whatever. And, and then I hear timeout, and I'm like, well, why, well, what are we stopping for? And, you know, what happens after you score is you have the extra point. And who's on the extra point team? I am. I'm one of the linemen on the extra point team. So all I hear is, where's Flannery? Where's Flannery? And I go, oh, shit. Excuse my French. Um, so I put my helmet on, and I run up to Coach Holtz, and he he um, grabs me by the helmet, and he says, he "Goes Brian," and I say, "Yes, sir." And he goes, and I'm ready for him to lay into me, Chris. And He just goes, "Do you love Notre Dame?" And I look at him. Oh, what? Excuse me. He goes, "Do you love Notre Dame?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." And he goes, "Don't worry about it. You know, go have a good, you know, have a good game or whatever." So. We, we waste the time out. We kick the extra point and get that. And we go on to have some goal line stands and, and win, the, win that game and knock Rodney Pete out of the game. Um, but never again was I on extra, extra, the uh, extra point <laughs> team. I got taken <laughs> off out of that. From that. <laughs> but it's just a great thing. Well, but then, you know, we win that game. We're undefeated and we're going to play another undefeated team, West Virginia, and yeah. uh, Major Harris and Major uh, Harris. Eric Lester from MEDS was uh, on that team yeah and um, it's just funny how all these things come together but um, uh, that was a a great great game great win for us obviously and then the funny thing later years later is my wife is from West Virginia or not from what she went to West Virginia she she was going Mm -hmm. to West Virginia when we were playing in that game we didn't know each other at the time but that was kind of a uh, when we first met we were she hated Notre Dame um, so I had to sell her on it, but uh, my daughter's now uh, she's a sophomore at West Virginia, so she's following in mom's footsteps.
1: Okay, okay.
2: Uh, did she play any sports? Uh, she played basketball for Hoban because I'm in the Akron area, and she and what the neat thing about um, what which, which she did is at Hoban they were 23 and 0, uh, and at, at Notre Dame we went to, we won 23 straight games. And they got knocked out in the in the uh, basketball tournament, but um, just uh, so proud of her. She tried out for one of the club teams at West Virginia and made it, um, but she decided, and we talked about it, just, you know, hey, just focus on school, get acclimated. So she is not playing sports uh, right now, and she did do basketball, and she was a cheerleader uh, like okay. her mom was uh, back in the day. And um so she's she's doing that but she's she's not cheering now, but that's what she did.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. All right. And just quickly to wrap this up, I know that you know <laughs> this is I could talk to you all day. You have great stories and I always enjoy listening to you. But you end up going from athletics into politics. So describe sure. that, that transition and, you know, how, what did you like what could you take from your athletic careers and put into politics
2: oh yeah no there's so much um similarities too it's just one you kind of you got to work hard you you know so in politics you got to have a ground game so that's kind of like going door to door you have that ground game the air attack is like mailings and being on tv and radio and doing things like that so there's a lot of similarities into the approach and how you kind of attack it um but then you know the other part of that too is the whole politics of politics of people positioning and and um you know getting their views across and 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 all of that and it's so there's you know similarities at least with that too because when as you move up in the ranks as you know in football everything gets more technical and specific so Like when you're at eds in grade school, you're just playing and doing, going that hole, right? And then in high school, it gets a little more refined. But when you're in college, they film everything. And they critique how you're stepping, how your hand placement is, and technique and all of that. And then in politics, it's the same thing. As you're in it, uh, it gets more refined and more specific and more tactical. And you have to become kind of a um not a master but you have to um know how to adapt and, and apply that and so football is uh, is and sports is a great kind of analogy you know, when you're going into politics but um you know for me um you know giving up sports and giving up football is is we we all have to give that up every once in a while it's it's a tough transition I mean, I remember a few years, you know, just being out of football and, and I don't know if it was for you, but it's just, you would kind of, when the football season came, you were like ready to go, you know, you, your body just kind of like, wait, and you didn't have that. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a new kind of football with politics because now you're getting attacked with words, right. And um, campaign things and issues and um, and it's the same season so you're kind of when you're running a campaign and for election you you're planning it but it's in November the, the big election so you prepare for that and and do that and when I got out of high school and that was a you know why I got into it or one my dad was a state legislator and his dad was a councilman in the city of Cleveland um, so it was something my family did, even though no one else in my family did it, I thought I'd give it a try. Um, and when my senior year at Notre Dame came, I was getting some letters from some agents and saying, we'd love to represent you if you go to the NFL or do the hat. And, and again, um, I wasn't a super athlete, you know, like some of these guys are, but, um, I went and said, well, I'll talk to Holtz and see what he has to say. And, and I went remember talking with coach and, you know, just asking you, I asked him and coach, you know, I'm getting some letters from some agents and just want to know what your advice would be. And, and he asked a very good question. He said, what do you want to do with your life, Brian? And, um, at the time it was like, well, you know, I know I always wanted to go to Notre Dame and I've done that. Um, and for me you know i you know, i have an interest in politics cuz i was class president in high school and i um i'm i'm fascinated by that and interested and he says well here let me help you i'll get you set up with an internship out in washington dc and he did um and i worked in, on the hill um which was an awesome experience my out of right out of college and um and then what did I do? I came back to Lakewood and ran for, ran for mayor. Um, and um, when I did that, I you know invited my teammates from Notre Dame. We had a big fundraiser, um, and you know raised money and did the whole political campaign thing. And um, and after running for mayor, I lost. And I thought it was the end of the world. I you know put my heart and soul into this campaign. I just left football and put all my cards in this deck and, you know, ran for mayor and thought I'd win and, and it didn't happen. And I was devastated. And, um, and that's the one thing with politics too, you know, you're asking people for money and, and then you lose. And I just felt so bad. I felt terrible, right. but I ended, ended up picking myself up and got back and got on city council and did that. And, um, you know, went from city council to the legislature and did that. Um, and um, and you can't say you you, you know you, you you don't do that without learning, and you don't do that without taking risks. And and you do lose. You know, I've lost some races, but I've won some. And um, and that's a whole nother show. The whole political part of my um, career. Uh, with lots of good stories, but um, you know how football and how St. Ed's prepared me for that is invaluable. I remember making my announcement for governor out of St. Ed's. Uh, I think I did that for secretary when I ran for secretary of state, too, in Ohio. And um, I, you know, just owe the world to the school for um, things that it allowed me to do,
1: right? Mm-hmm. That's awesome that is awesome. So, and I know 2006 you run for governor of Ohio and the disappointment. What was it that made you say, you know what, that's it, I'm done?
2: <laughs> well, what you know you run for governor, what else do you run for, right? Uh no, it's um yeah, that whole thing it was and I knew it was um uh, could it could have been a long a long shot, although I wouldn't have done it unless I believed in it and um mm-hmm. At the time, when I was in the legislature, the reason I ran for the legislature was to address this issue in Ohio, which is school funding, where the Supreme Court ruled it unconstitutional. And this was when I was, um, even I think before, I was, when I was in college, that it was ruled unconstitutional, and it was ruled again unconstitutional uh, when I was on city council. And we had an issue in Lakewood where they put up, a proposed a joint income tax where the schools would share it and the city would share it. And I was the only one on council that opposed it. And boy, you wouldn't, you would have thought I was the devil. Um, they, all these people come out against you and say, how could you oppose it? This is for the kids. And and the problem was, it was the how Ohio pays for education. Um, they rely on property taxes so what they were trying to do was to somehow get the schools money and but the city didn't need it the city it was flush in cash so why is the city saying you know we you know we need some money too um and that's why i opposed it i said schools you might need the money but sorry the city doesn't and um And so I opposed it. But when I ran for the state legislature, it was to, you know, come up with a solution to to fix Mm -hmm. how schools are funded in Ohio. So that was kind of my mission. And when I was in the legislature, I actually um, put together a a campaign. And this was Chris, I was married, no kids at the time. Um, And I took a picture of my godson, and he was just probably in before kindergarten, and I, and I put, made these posters that said, you know, help find a way to pay for this kid's education. And um, we put it up around the state, and the whole goal was to go out to the people all over Ohio and ask, you know, um, for their ideas. You know, the system's unconstitutional. It doesn't work. And so I put the time uh, and effort into understanding school finance in ohio and what can work and actually um i got um you know great ideas we gave a thousand dollar reward for the person with, with, with the idea that was the best and we did that but from that came a bill which i introduced in in the legislature which would fix school funding and um I was part of the Democratic Party, and the Republican Party, as today, was in control, and they would not even hear the bill. They wouldn't even let me have a hearing. Um, And so um, that was kind of like, okay, this isn't working, so what can you do? And then I remember going and meeting with um, one of the teacher unions um, at the time, one of of their presidents, to go over – this is a plan, you know, it fixes the problem of school funding. It would address all the issues that people are having, um, and it won't rely on property taxes too much. And what do you think? Can I get your support? And, and they said, no, we're not going to support you. I'm like, what are you talking about? What do you mean you're not going to support this? And they say, well, we, we think it's better to put our resources against supporting uh, the candidate for governor we think that'll have a better chance since the democrats you don't have any um you know the, the numbers to get the votes mm-hmm. so that's what got me to run for governor was to you know help promote this school funding solution which it still would work today it hasn't been enacted it hasn't been put in place and it, when i left the legislature it's never been brought up again but it's still across the whole the whole state of ohio is that the system doesn't work and because of that, kids are, you know, getting robbed from a good education. I think, and and their education is based on where they're born, as opposed to whether they have the right resources or tools to do it. So, again, a whole nother show. But that's kind of um, got me into all of that. And um, uh, when I uh, tried, you know, I tried. And uh, and and here's the other thing too, Chris is. Uh, I went to the candidates running for governor on the Democratic side, and I went to the candidates running for the Republican side at the time. And this was before I announced. And I asked them, please take this issue, take this this solution. If you have a better one, great. But please take this and make it part of your platform. And none of them would. And so that's I said. I, I, the only thing I can do is then do it myself. And and that's what got me to do that. And so you know, I did, I got in late into the race for governor, um, uh, was outspent, um, and to one, uh, I think I spent maybe 500,000. My opponent spent like 5 million. And, um, unfortunately that that's the, that's the way politics work. And so for me, that was like, well, you try, you do your best and, um, it didn't work out and that's okay. Um, but that's where the reason why I kind of hung it up. I just, you know, and Really wanted to spend time you know, raising my 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 kids, uh, helping helping okay. raise my kids, and um, and uh, having trying to have fun doing that too. Yeah.
1: All right. And so with today's political climate, you know, you, you talk about something that you <laughs> you could provide a solution to. Do you, as in football, do you still have an itch like, oh man, I wish I could do this and make a difference do you do you watch it like that because basically you're watching it like a sport like i'm watching football i'm watching a guy run the ball i'm like oh man i would have made this cut do
2: you watch politics like that oh yeah sure you know you kind of have a um you have a kind of maybe an insider's view if you will because you've been in it and you know the players and you know the people and uh you know, you've met some of these, um, you don't want to say characters, but you've met some of these people. Um, and you know some people have the right motives, some people have the wrong motives uh, for doing it. And um, for me, I'm, I, I never want to be armchair quarterback or say I'd do better. I would just look at, like, these issues and concerns and say, well, how would I go about addressing that like, you know, this whole thing with these the rioting and this terrible brutality of officers um, in certain situations, not, not always, but in certain situations where it gets way out of hand and goes too far, um, that, you know, you have to try to address that legislatively. Because when bad things happen, that's what government's for, is to try to correct it or create a level playing field or a mechanism that... Help prevent that from happening again and the thing that I see at least with these riots and the police brutality is 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 not you need solutions and you need to talk about how to do it better and and be specific about it and I don't see that anywhere Chris um, and that's kind of what me is, and I look at that and it's like why isn't anyone talking about this why isn't anyone saying hey you know we have technology That when an officer is in a heightened situation, that there's um, some technology they have that just calms them, calls them off or whatever, if their blood pressure rises to or whatever. You know, there's things like that that we should be looking at doing um, to to help prevent from these things from escalating. I mean, uh, when I was in the legislature, we had, um, you know, some of the gun violence of school shootings and and so um what we found out is when i was trying to look into that issue and address it was you know a lot of these shootings are happening from people that have mental illness Um, they would get guns and then go in and shoot up a school or or they do something like that and it's like why does that happen and So what I found out, Chris, was when someone goes to get a gun, they fill out a form, and on the form it has a bunch of questions. One of the questions is, are you mentally ill? And you mark yes or no. There's no way to check that. So I introduced legislation that said, you know, no, we need something that can. someone marks yes or no, we can check that um and that obviously never got introduced because i was in the minority party and uh but it's things like that so just so when you look at politics today i think of what are we going to what are we doing you know politically or whatever to address some of these problems or issues and do it in a way that makes sense as opposed to kind of the the stuff that's happening now where everything's extreme one side or the other and um it was really uh, obviously, a middle ground or something that makes sense to do, or at least try, um, to prevent some of these atrocities from ever happening again. Um, so that's kind of how I look at it, I guess.
1: Okay. All right. Shameless plug time. What are you doing now? Um, shout out your company. If, if you know, just if you need people to follow you on social media, whatever. This is your chance. Sell <laughs>
2: yourself. So. Well, I've yeah. No, thanks, Chris. I had that chance when I was running years ago and, and all of that, but I'm a, a proud father. I love my daughter, Taylor, my son, Brian, uh, my wife, Renee, um, even though she did go to West Virginia. Love her to death. <laughs> love my family. Uh, it, it's just, you know, that thing. I have to plug them for sure. Um, and for me, um you know the, the the plugs are. is listen to the Chris Williams show, um, you have some guests that have some great experiences to share. Uh, they should listen to that more uh, and do it. I have to plug. I guess my brother, he's a coach at St. Ed's. Got to plug his podcast and his thing. What he does, uh, he does some great things on his end. Um, so what I do now, I work for um, Anthem Insurance, uh, and I work with unions. So I uh, help provide insurance and health, meaning health insurance, which is another issue, but provide health insurance to labor funds and unions. And um, I've been doing that now for the past 16 years since I got out of politics. Um, So um, it's something that I uh, feel good about in terms of uh, helping people reduce their health care costs and address their health needs. And um, it's something that um, has provided a a great career after politics and after football, and something that i uh, uh work hard at every day obviously awesome
1: and once again what was your what is your brother's podcast
2: um you know what um his podcast is um, oh geez i should I should know it right off the top of my head um, and you caught me off guard on that one um but if you give me a second i'll find it for sure but um his his podcast that he has um it was based off of a book that he wrote uh which chronicled his one of his uh, state championship teams and now it comes back to me it's worthy of the jersey is by eric flannery and tim smith and It's basically a podcast where they talk about coaching and they talk about their philosophy of basketball. So always a a good listen um, when you hear listen to some of that to get a view. And he's obviously a very successful coach. Now, I do have to say, Chris, that you know, uh, when he was growing up, I was one of his first coaches. So anything he teaches that's good, I taught him that. And when he makes mistakes, he's the worst coach ever, and I never taught him that. So I was, like, coached him when he was in football, starting out in basketball, We we'll coached one of his rec teams. So uh, I guess that's my big claim to fame now, right?
1: That's awesome. That is awesome. So, the Flannery rivalry continues. that's for sure uh, but but, Brian, seriously, it's been an extreme pleasure talking to you. I wish you continued success in life, family work, and also, maybe your Irish can prove to be worthy in the a c c, but uh, thank you Thank you once again no, you. for coming on the chris williams podcast hour it's It's been a total no. pleasure.
2: No, thanks, Chris. I really enjoyed it, and we look forward to seeing you back up here in the OH-10.